today's episode of All Things Reformed Podcast. My name is Z Chunga. I'm joined by Pastor Confex Makalera. Pastor Confix, we meet in the 13th episode of uh, All Things Reformed podcast. It's yeah. been a, um, it's, uh, it's amazing we've come this far. Yeah, yeah, over 10 episodes now uh, and uh, we are about to hit 20. We thank the Lord for his goodness. And today we um, transition from uh, the historical uh, part of what we're calling the doctrines of grace to actually beginning to look at the doctrines of grace themselves yes. and what they say. But you might want to do a recap yes. of where we're coming from before we start with the first doctrine of grace. Yeah, so in the last episode, we looked at uh, 1618 and 1619, the Synod of Dort meets. Uh, Jacobus Arminius, his teachings have been uh, carried on by his followers called the Remonstrants. Uh, they are challenging the teachings of the church. At this time, the church is reformed in Netherlands. And they say, oh, well, no, we, we have some concerns with the teaching of the church. They have five points which they are against. And they submit their five points to the, uh, to the synod and say, we want you to consider this because we believe this is biblical. And the synod of Dort looks at their arguments and, and the synod searches the scripture and eventually conclude to say, well, no, you are wrong. What you're teaching is not biblical. And the synod condemns the teaching of the remonstrants. And then they need to come up with uh, a clear statement. What does the Bible teach regarding these five points which the remonstrants raised? And uh, they respond uh, to that with five points as well. And these five points... Uh, will later be called the tulip. Uh, the tulip is a very beautiful flower that is very common in Netherlands. It's it's an actual flower. Yes, an actual flower. And Dutch people should be very, very familiar uh, with it. And I believe maybe in other parts of Europe as well. So, but it's an acronym as well. Yeah, it's an acronym actually. Yes, yeah. So the T stands for total depravity. The U stands for unconditional election. The L stands for limited atonement. The I stands for irresistible grace. And the P stands for perseverance or the sense. And again, some will call uh, the tulip as five points of Calvinism. Uh, it was not Calvin who taught them, really. They are biblical. But because the Reformed faith uh, is associated with John Calvin, so they are called also five points of Calvinism. Or the doctrines of grace or the tulip. Right. And um, before we start, just to make mention here that um, the, uh, the doctrines of grace, as we start, we have well-meaning brothers uh, that hold the Armenian views. Yes. Or the Armenian view. And um, we might want to make it clear that yeah. uh, there are... Um, brothers, including men like John Wesley, yes, uh, that were uh, that really put up a very um, gallant fight in spreading uh, the spreading of the Armenian views. Yeah. Uh, but these men were demonstrated so much repentance in their lives, mm -hmm. and 
and and serve the Lord in their capacities. And so uh, to simply encourage our listener that this podcast does not mean to say that uh, those that hold the Armenian view are not believers. Yes. Per se. No, you have a very good point there, Z. Yes, just to echo what you've already said. Um, I believe and we believe uh, that uh, there are true believers who do not hold on to five points of Calvinism. Right. And when you were talking about John Wesley, I was just reminded, um, you know, John Wesley was Armenian, mm. and there was also another preacher, another evangelist who was reformed, George Whitfield. Mm. And uh, their relationship, they started together, actually. Uh, but later on, uh, George Whitfield became more reformed and had to part ways with... Uh, his friends, so they were not working closely together as it was before. And people knew that, that uh, their convictions are different. One is reformed, the other is Armenian. And uh, I heard that, uh, I don't know if it was a reporter or someone asked George Whitfield to say, well, do you believe that when you go to heaven, you see John Wesley or Charles Wesley? And uh, George Whitfield responded, say, well, I will not see them there. And this person gets excited and say, well, I need to hear more. Uh, why will you not see them there? And this is what George Whitfield said. You know, those brothers have served the Lord well and hard. They will be closer to Jesus, and I'll be very far from Jesus that I will not be able to see them. So really what uh, George Whitfield emphasized here is that humility. We'll start now with the first doctrine of grace, and this is um, total depravity. Yes. What would be a good starting point to total depravity? Yeah, you know, when, when, when we talk about this doctrine, I usually go back to my uh, Bible college days. Uh, I was taking a course called uh, Cultural Anthropology, and really what it was all about is studying cultures, human cultures, from a Christian perspective. Right. And uh, my professor there had a very good question that he always asked his class. Is man basically good or basically evil? All right, and uh, how you answer that question will determine whether you're going to pass that class or not. And the right answer is that man is basically evil. And that's what total depravity is all about. But I can imagine how many wrong answers were there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so my professor was very gracious. He would say, well, you got that uh, answer wrong. Go and give the correct answer and you pass the class. <laughs> but you only have two answers. <laughs> so you would know, okay, yeah. the right answer is that one. So, so man is basically evil. Yes. Where, where do you get that from? Yeah, so let's go to the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2. God creates everything and what do we read again and again? And he saw that all was good, all was good, very good. A perfect creation. Perfect creation. No sin, nothing. Perfect. But then comes Genesis 3. What happens? Sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, it corrupts everything, including you and me. We become sinners incapable of any spiritual good. And that's what total depravity is all about. Man is incapable of doing any spiritual good unless the Lord intervenes in his life. The emphasis there is on spiritual. 
Yes, because some misunderstand this doctrine and say, well, when you talk about total, total depravity, we are saying that man is as wicked as he can be, is as evil as he can be. No, because let's say of uh, an atheist, the one who doesn't believe in God. He goes to the street, he sees a beggar who is begging, and he feels sorry for him. Uh, he pulls out money in his pocket and gives to this beggar. I say, I'm sorry that you're struggling. Go buy food. That is good. But it's not spiritual good. It is a good thing. So man, if we are to use the word physical, is able of doing physical good. But is unable of doing any spiritual good. And that's what total depravity is all about. And uh, allow me to read uh, the canons of Dot. So, when the Synod of Dot met, as I've already said, they summarized their response to the remonstrance with four heads of doctrine. Right. So, actually, there are five heads of doctrine, but they combined the third and the fourth as one. So, you end up having four heads. And, really, with these four heads, they are responding to the teaching of the remonstrance, the Armenians. And this is what Article 3, or the third and fourth head of doctrine of Canons of Dort says. Therefore, all men are conceived in sin, and by nurture children of wrath, incapable of saving good, prone to evil, dead in sin, and in bondage thereunto. And without the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit, they are neither able nor willing to return to God, to reform the depravity of their nurture, or to dispose themselves to reformation. What is it saying? What we've already said, man is incapable of saving good. He is prone to evil. He's dead in sin. And he is in bondage. And without the Lord intervening, there is no hope of salvation. That's what it says. And then it goes on in Article 4. There remain, however, in man, since the fall, the glimmerings of natural light, whereby he retains some knowledge of God, of natural things, and of the difference between good and evil. So even though man is totally depraved, he has some sense of right and wrong. That's why even someone who doesn't believe in God, when he hears that uh, someone has stolen, especially when he hears that uh, our politicians are stealing from the government, the taxpayers' money, they get angry. Say, mm. Why are you stealing from, from poor people? Right. He has a sense of right and wrong. He's not a believer, but he has a sense of right and wrong. So that's what he, uh, here the canons of Dodd is summarizing to say, when you talk about total depravity, we're not saying that he's incapable of discerning what is good or right, because that is still written on the mind. But what he's incapable of doing is any spiritual good that will enable him to be saved before God. Right. One of the uh, challenges that are put uh, um, in defense of the Armenian faith is um, the issue of partial depravity. That no, 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 man is not totally uh, or completely um, depraved. depraved. Mm -hmm. 
man has a level of ability to choose what is good or to choose what is not good. How do you respond to that? Yeah, so I will respond to that, but I, I've quoted the uh, the canons of Dort, mm. and it's very important to quote scriptures well. So people right. don't say, oh, well, he's quoting the canons of Dort. Right. Uh, maybe he was on tradition. Because, yeah, no, there is scripture for that. Right. So two verses that come to mind. Actually, there might be more. But uh, Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6. This is what we read. When sin has entered the world, this is what God's word says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention or the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. You see, after the fall, the thoughts of man, his intentions are continually evil. He's prone to go toward evil than spiritual good, total depravity. Mm. And uh, Romans 3, verses 10 to 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Total depravity there. Not even a single person. So for those who say, ah, well, no man is born partially good and maybe partially evil, they have to explain what God is saying here. Not even one is good. Continual evil. How do you explain that? So really, that view is not biblical. And it's very important to remember as well that uh, those who hold to this view, uh, that's why I love us to study church history. Right. Uh, we learn a lot through church history. Those who hold on to, those, uh, to that view to say, well, man is partially good, are not the first people to hold on to this view. Mm-hmm. I will take you to the 4th and 5th century AD. There was a British monk by the name of Plagius. And Plagius taught that Man is not born totally depraved. Man is born innocent. Man is born sinless. So this was 4th and 5th century AD. Mm. And the church was very concerned with his teaching. So they gather at the Council of Carthage in 1418 AD and condemned the teaching of Plagius and declared it as heresy. A teaching that is not biblical that will lead people to condemnation. So the church condemned that. And a few years later, uh, came another group, say, well, Plagius went to an extreme, and they, they are called semi Plagianism. And really, what they are saying is, well, man is partially depraved. He's not born sinless, he's born with some sin, but also with some good. So that if he can just improve on his good part, he will become a better person and will be accepted by God. And again, this is not biblical. The church or so condemns this. So those who hold on to the view to say, well, yeah, man is not totally depraved, they're not the first ones. What you're holding on to has been condemned by the church long ago. That is not biblical. It's heresy. 
Right. How about when Joshua summons the nation of Israel to say, choose today who you will serve, whether you will serve God or not. But as for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord. Where does Joshua, how does Joshua expect that the the Jews will, will, will choose God yeah. if, if, if man does not have that capacity to choose God. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think you are, you are hinting at free will. I think we can right. discuss that more when we look at uh, unconditional election. But yeah, so the question always arises, and really the main pushback that we get from our friends who are minion is that, well, then you are making a man a robot. Because you are saying that he cannot make a decision, any spiritual good, then he is a robot. Because unless the Lord helps him, then there is nothing that he's going to make. And they argue, no man has free will; he can choose good or evil. So that um, uh, that verse that you you quote in Joshua, where it says, "Choose today whom you are going to serve," might sound like support for the Armenian view. But uh, I'll give an example of myself as a preacher. When I stand on Sunday and preach, I encourage believers to say, you who believe in Christ, continue to walk with the Lord faithfully. Now, I know that on their own, they are not able to do that. Right? They cannot walk with the Lord faithfully on their own. And really what I'm really saying is, you look to the Lord, seek his help for you to be faithful. So I'm challenging you as if you're doing that by your own power. But what I really know is that the Lord has to do that in you. So you have to depend on the Lord. And the Lord will give you the grace for you to walk with him faithfully. When I speak to unbelievers, I challenge them to say, well, you are under God's wrath. Repent and return to the Lord. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Now, I know that they're incapable of doing that in their own strength. They cannot do it. They cannot repent by their own power. They can't. But I'm still saying as if it depends on them. Why am I saying that? Because I'm believing in the serving power of God, that God is going to work in their hearts and grant them a sense of knowing that they are under his condemnation and by his grace return to the Lord in repentance and the Lord receives them. So read as a preacher, you don't say, well, well, turn to the Lord, but uh, wait until the Lord works in your heart, and then you can turn to the Lord. We don't do that. We challenge people, turn to the Lord, knowing and trusting that the Lord is going to work in their hearts. And that's what Joshua does there. He tells these people, choose today. Deep down, Joshua knows these people, if they are to choose, they will choose evil. But he's trusting the power of God who enable these people by the grace of God as he works in their hearts to follow God and walk with him faithfully. This also is where we leave it for today. Please email us your thoughts about the program and any questions you may have. You can email us on atreformed at gmail.com atreformed, one word, at gmail.com You can also inbox us on all things Reformed podcast page on Facebook.